Um, hello all, this is uh, P. Kristen Enos. Welcome to my podcast. In fact, my very first interview, uh, kind of a, a painful learning process. This is a actual take two. Uh, my guest, Joseph Amster and I, who are longtime friends, um, we tried this interview last night, had a wonderful interview, was recorded, and turned out that the, I guess, really super simple app decided not to record any of the audio, but it did tell me that the interview was 26 minutes and 34 seconds long. So that was no that's help. always good. I know <laughs> important information so so we're trying it again so I guess in the world of show business that was a rehearsal so so here's the real show um so for those of you who do not know who I am which I'm sure is quite a few of you um I uh, I identify as Asian American lesbian feminist activist um I am in my 50s I had come out in the late 80s uh, late 80s in Orange County, California, having gone to UCI. And I came out with a bang, got involved in activism, got involved in media. Um, I'd been a lifelong writer, so just added journalism and a bunch of other things to that. And so over the years, uh, I just had a lot of various projects and so um, been in and out of activism and now trying to pick it up again, um, get my brain going, the, those kind of, you know, um, that buzz that you get uh, for those of you who are activists know what you mean. Um, and then just to clarify for me, activism for my projects is focused on empowerment and education. So there are many other types of activists and activist activities, but that is my area of interest and expertise. I'd rather give information to people um, to empower them, to make them feel better about themselves, regardless of their particular issues or leanings or beliefs, and hopefully that they will be inspired to um, spread that positivity and make the world a better place. So that's what it's all about. And I think, Joseph, you kind of share the same philosophy as well. So. Yes, making making you a perfect first guest. So um, since Joseph and I have a very, very long history, so kind of let people know um, our conversation may be a little bit interview, a little bit of catching up. Um, Joseph and I, we met, as you corrected me last night, in the late 80s in Orange County. Um, you said you had just moved down from San Francisco and started getting involved in the activist community down in OC, and I was mm -hmm. coming out at UCI. And then we just kind of like had many projects where we just crossed paths and, of course, remained friends. Um, so to start, the focus of this interview is about your tours that you do, mm -hmm. your San Francisco historical walking tours. So why don't you start with telling the basics? Okay. So uh, uh, I am co-owner of Time Machine Tours, which is Amper Norton's fantastic San Francisco Time Machine and San Francisco Food Safari, both of which I do. And then my husband, who's also the other partner in this, uh, does Drag Me Along Tours. And we do both of our tours, the Amper Norton and the Drag Me Along, are done in characters from San Francisco history, real people. And in particular, we're going to focus on the tour that you do as Emperor Norton. So mm -hmm. before we start talking about um, Emperor Norton and your tour specifically, let's kind of talk about, you know, why San Francisco? I mean, as I think you clarified, you weren't born there, but, you know, what is it about the city that, you know, makes you want to stay there, be there and share its history? Well, the first time I came here, I was a little kid, about eight years old. And my dad put me on a tour bus. He was up here doing business. And I just fell in love with the city. I loved how beautiful it was, the people were friendly, that there was just always something interesting to do. And I said, this is where I need to be. 
And I got here first in 1974 as a college student, stayed about two and a half years, moved back down to Southern California, where I'm originally from, and then came back in the 80s for about four years. But my partner at that time didn't like the weather here. <laughs> and so we moved back again. And I finally got back here in 2007. And I'm not leaving again. <laughs> now, so uh, unsurprisingly, you've made mention of it. You know, you are openly gay. Did San Francisco have any influence or any connection about that side of your um, personality, your persona? Yes, absolutely. I started coming out my second year of college and really came out in mid-1976. And when I was here, it was the rise of Harvey Milk. Mm -hmm. I just uh, I just posted an old story I wrote about this the other day. Um, I never got to meet him, unfortunately, but I did get to vote for him twice, unfortunately, in the elections that he didn't win. Mm-hmm. And then when I left here, I was I was out. I came back to Orange County. I still followed Harvey Milk. Was overjoyed that he won. And then when he hello, oh, I think we lost you. All right, you there? Okay. Yes. Okay, you are sounding a little bit muffled, but just letting you know. So, um, but um, we'll do hey, this. Let me, let me try instead. <laughs> All right. Let me try instead of Bluetooth uh, speakers, see if that's any better. All righty. Is that better? Uh, a little bit sharper, yeah. All right. Okay, we'll go with Okay, that. so we lost you when you mentioned that you voted for him twice, but not the elections that he won. Right, okay. So I voted for Harvey Milk in the two elections that he didn't win. Unfortunately, I moved away when he won his election, which I was elated about. And then when he died, I was in a place where I couldn't be open about mm -hmm. being gay. I, I would have gotten beaten up. Uh, it was a very odd job. And so I decided when I got out of there, I wouldn't be closeted anymore under any circumstances. So I owe that, I owe that to Harvey Milk in a lot of ways. Mm, okay. And that's also what he inspired me to become an activist. Uh-huh. His example. Okay. Well, I guess it all feeds each other. So Yeah, it, it really did. Okay. So so going back to your tour, so you said you, you actually had your first exposure of a San Francisco tour. So what actually started the genesis of your current tour company? So my husband, Rick, and I, uh, a.k.a. Gov, uh, took a tour over the holidays about 10 years ago. And as the tour went on, we realized it wasn't a very good tour. And the, the moment that I always remember when we decided to become tour guides, when she walked us into the Fairmont hotel and told us that the staircase in the Fairmont hotel was the one they used in gone with the wind. And it really, really isn't. <laughs> so we looked at each other and said, we can do better than this. Uh, we were both, in a place where I was unemployed. He thought he was going to get laid off from his job. So we came up with this idea of buying a van and doing custom tours uh, where people would fill out a questionnaire as to what they were interested in, and we'd build a tour around that. That's a lot of logistics. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of expenses for the van and the insurance and all that. Mm -hmm. 
So he ended up keeping his job, and I was still unemployed, or at that point, underemployed. Mm-hmm. And so decided to start working on the idea for a tour. And about the same time, we got invited to a fundraiser for the uh, GLBT History Museum. And we decided to come as characters from San Francisco history. Well, Gov decided real quickly on Lola Mont. Figure very over the top, perfect for him. Okay, you and I was originally going to be up. Mark Twain, but the more I thought about it, I didn't really think I looked that much like him, and he wasn't here that long. So I started doing more research and started reading more about Emperor Norton, who I'd been vaguely aware of. You can't really live here without being at least vaguely aware of him. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like a bolt of lightning hit me. Uh, something told me that this was absolutely who I needed to be. And it was the right decision. Now, just to let you know, you did cut out in the middle of your big reveal of what Rick had decided he wanted to be in his persona. Yeah, we which... went off. I guess I must have hit the audio wrong. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, Rick decided, or God decided he wanted to be, let me just put the phone down, it's easier. Right. I won't hit it wrong that way. Uh, he decided he wanted to be Lola Montez. Okay, which okay. Which perfect for him because Lola's very over the top and flamboyant. Mm, all right. And then you ended up choosing Emperor Norton. So, right. It, and then was it a case that you just had to like look up as much as possible or get the pieces of his uniform together? Um, and then this is probably a good time to tell people who don't know who Emperor Norton is, you know, who was this guy? You know, why point. is he so important to San Francisco? So Joshua Norton was born in London and raised in South Africa. And he came here about the age of 30. He had $40,000, which is a pretty fair amount of money then. And he started making investments in real estate and commodities, very successful. After about four years, that hit $250,000. And what year was and this then, approximately? Uh, that would have been from 1859 to about 1853-54. Okay. It's around this time that he decided that he wanted to make more money by cornering the market on rice, which... Kind of made sense, but because there was a rice famine in China, they weren't exporting rice to the United States. It was price was soaring. He buys up every bit of rice in the city and puts it on a warehouse boat in the harbor. And he figures by withholding it from the market, he'll make the price go way, way up. And uh, what he didn't think about, though, was two boatloads of rice from Peru, each equal in size to what he had, come mm-hmm. sailing into the bay at that moment. Mm-hmm. Price falls to half of what it was even before the famine. Mm -hmm. And he bought all that rice at a premium, so he's wiped out. Okay. And what little money he had left is whittled away by legal fees. He has to declare bankruptcy. By 1856-57, he's broken, forgotten. At one time, everybody knew him as being this great businessman, and suddenly no one wants to talk to him. Mm-hmm. So then he disappeared for two years, and we don't really know where he went or what happened to him or when he came back exactly. So the next thing we know is that on September 17, 1859, he goes to one of the newspaper offices, walks into there with a proclamation, which he hands the editor. The editor looks at it, says thank you, and Joshua Norton leaves, and they print it that evening in the newspaper under the headline, Have We an Emperor Among Us? And the 
proclamation was declaring himself the emperor of the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, you can imagine if that happened somewhere else, they probably lock him up. Mm-hmm. But this being San Francisco, and we cherish our differences here, and we cherish people who are a little bit off-center, <laughs> and we, we we're big on diversity and acceptance. So everybody here treated Joshua Norton as if he really were emperor. He walked around in a long navy blue coat from the Civil War with gold epaulets, uh, had a top hat decorated with feathers, and people would bow to him. He would eat for free in restaurants. He would always get the best seats in the theater for free, and people would rise when he made his entrance. So people just went along with it. And he then came up with ideas. And people thought his ideas were a little screwy at the time, but they, they went along with it, like building a bridge across the bay, which we have now and should be named after him, uh, starting a League of Nations or the United well, Nations, Okay, basically. for people who don't know San Francisco, which bridge are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about the Emperor Norton Bridge. I'm, I'm talking about the <laughs> San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge. Yes, not the Golden Gate. He proposed Gate. that three <laughs> Not the Golden Gate. No, he proposed the, the Bay Bridge three times in the 1870s, as well as a tube under the bay. And mm-hmm. we have that for the Bay Area Rapid Transit. BART goes mm-hmm. through that tube. So he came up with the idea of the United Nations. He supposedly banned the use of the word Frisco. There's some <laughs> controversy about whether he ever actually did. But people here still don't, still don't like that word. Mm. You never call San Francisco that. When you're here, that's a good way to show that you're not from here. Mm. So it's always San Francisco or San Fran. Oh, okay. okay. Although if, you, if you're really in the know, you say the city, uh, well, with the okay. capital C, <laughs> always spelled the capital C. Ah, uh, all right, all right. So he had proposed all of these ideas he becomes this fixture in san francisco and Mm -hmm. um how did he like end his life he was walking up knob hill um heading to the corner of california and grant on january 8 1880 Mm -hmm. and right when he gets to the corner about 8 15 p.m he drops dead Mm. uh, of a stroke he was about a month shy of his 62nd birthday, which wow. was a pretty decent age in those days. Well, okay, yes, true. It's all relative. And they had the biggest funeral the city's ever seen for him to this day. Hmm. And so with that background, and you know that now you have the essence of looking like Emperor Norton, and you're putting this tour together. So what was mm-hmm. it like to first launch that initial tour? Well, Gov made me a little uniform, which we uh-huh. cobbled together out of a thrift store. And I invited a few friends. And let's see, that would have been July 10th, 2011. I took them around and they all had a great time and they gave me some feedback. So I took that and mm-hmm. worked out some of the kinks in the tour. And then my first paid guests were about, oh, three weeks to a month later. My, mm-hmm. Actually, my chiropractor from Orange County and his family came up, and they were my first paid guests. <laughs> well, you have to start somewhere. And, and we launched it on a regular basis after that. And at what point did you realize that this was actually 
taking off and going to be something that you could do regularly? Probably about six months in, the, the numbers were building up. I was getting more and more people on the tour. The reviews were coming in. But there was also the fact that I was getting recognized more on the streets, and people really liked to see me there as the emperor. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a Facebook post around that time that said, I've become a tourist attraction. <laughs> and I, I'm very pleased to be one. Yeah, and I think last night we talked about the fact that, you know, people, as much as your tours are also important in perpetuating San Francisco history, but the fact that you're, you know, trying to be the persona of somebody who's very part, important part of that history. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned that in COVID when you had to kind of, you know, lay low and you started launching your tours again, people were joyous to see you back, correct? Yes. I did a tour about a month ago for a birthday party. It was seven people, all masked, all socially distanced. Mm -hmm. And I did another one about a week and a half ago for a reporter from the Chronicle. And that one in particular, because it was a weekday and there were more people in the financial district who had gotten used to seeing me, mm -hmm. the response was overwhelming. People were just so happy to see me back. It was it was. It really touched my heart. Well, of course. I mean, especially at these times when you don't know if somebody's been affected or not. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. you as a person, but also the emperor to come back too. So if, even if they mm -hmm. know you as Joseph. So, um, so just something I just realized I did not ask last night. So how much of the material in your tours did you already kind of know or have a feeling about, or how much did you have to learn because you realized, hey, I'm going to start launching a tour? I had to learn a lot. Um, somewhere I've still got my notes put away. I mean, I know a, a fair amount of city history. I mean, looking back on it now, it really wasn't that much because I've learned so much. So I just started doing research on the particular places that we were going to for the tour. Mm -hmm. But through the process of getting more involved in the history community in San Francisco, which is considerable, I go to lectures, buy a lot of books, mm -hmm. do a lot of web research. So, and also working as a tour bus guide, all that stuff put together really expanded my knowledge of the city to where now I could probably put together a tour of just about anywhere in the city at this point and be confident that I can do it. Now, you said to launch, you were doing custom tours. So, um, now, I know because I actually attended one of your tours, you have some standard routes. At what point did you kind of transition that you felt comfortable enough just to offer like, you know, you know, a, a variety of routes versus, you know, taking custom uh, requests? Well, my second tour, which is the Food Safari one, launched about a year into doing Emperor Norton. And then later I would add the Waterfront tour. So that was gaining more knowledge. But I don't think I really became comfortable with doing improvised custom tours probably until about three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's rare when I get one of those. And I kind of like it because it lets me grow. It lets me try new material and also to break up the monotony because when you're saying the same script over and over again, day in and day out, it can get monotonous. Mm -hmm. So it was a way to keep it fresh. So I only really do the customs on request or if I have only one or two people book the tour that particular day, and that does happen, mm -hmm. I'll tell them the standard tour if they want, 
take them on an adventure. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask them, well, what do you want to see? Do you like architecture? Do you like Chinatown? Do you like North Beach? Do you want to see the waterfront? Uh, you want to see City Hall? Whatever. I'll take them there and do it. And that's that's very gratifying because, as I said, it, it tests my knowledge, but also just gives me a chance to stretch. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Now, in terms of the people who actually attend your tours, I mean, do you have a feeling of how many may be actually local versus out of town? Yeah, I get, um, depends upon the time of the year, of course. During the winter, it's, I would say, three quarters, maybe a little bit more than that, locals, mm-hmm. and the rest are from out of town. When I say local, I'm talking about San Francisco Bay Area, not mm-hmm. just people from the city. Mm-hmm. Um, during the summer, it's probably leaning more toward tourists, but I would say it, it runs about maybe 50-50 or maybe a yeah, I think 50-50 is about right mm, okay. overall. And I said that people who you know attend these tours, I mean, I know I went on one because I also like history myself. So it was very mm-hmm. interesting and a very good job, by the way. Um, I would assume Thank that you. people like to share the stories that they know, you know, when you were hitting a place that they may be familiar with. I mean, do you also oh, yeah. like incorporate some of that uh, into your uh, tours as well? Oh, all the time when I learn new things, which I do a lot because I get not just first and second generation San Franciscans, I've had third, fourth, and fifth generation San Franciscans mm. on my tour. Pretty rare, you know, people, somebody's a family that's been here that long. And yeah, I learned new things from them. Uh, a good example is, and they weren't actually on my tour, but there's a statue in the middle of Union Square called the Dewey Monument. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it's a tall pillar on top of it's a sculpture called Victoria. And the woman who posed for it was named Alma Spreckles, but she was Alma Jabretville at the time. She married into the Sugar family mm-hmm. and became fabulous and healthy. Well, I had her grandson. I met him in Union Square one day just by accident. Mm-hmm. And so he's telling me all these other stories about Alma that I didn't know. Mm. So that material has now been incorporated into the tour. Now, I assume that you have... Somebody... Oh, sorry, go on. Mm-hmm. No, I... I'll, I'll be taking financial district and they'll say, oh, I used to work in this building. Did you know? And <laughs> I learned something. Hello? Did we lose you again? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I'm okay. <laughs> I, I have to admit I'm nervous. <laughs> this has been such a challenge. I know, I know. So, so as you learn stuff, do you actually like keep it all in your brain or do you like have a, like a secret file or several files on your computer or something somewhere? No, I'm blessed and cursed with a steel trap memory. All right. All right. I don't get much mm-hmm. except what I did five minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I just, I just remember stuff. Now being a tour guide, that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to fall asleep at night and suddenly the howdy duty theme <laughs> pops into your head and starts looping, that's that's the curse part of it. Okay, yeah, I let's not go there. That. I don't need that tonight. <laughs> yeah. But... yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse. It's been really good for what I do, but no, I don't really have notes for any of this. I probably should, but now, I don't. So... So in terms of the fact that you put together your tour, you know, and maybe your process is a little bit different, you know, at the beginning versus now, 
But, you know, what are all of the criteria that you have? You know, what are the check marks that something, a story or an anecdote, you know, has to meet to be incorporated into your tour? Well, number one, it has to be true. Mm-hmm. Because um, there's a lot of fake San Francisco stories floating around. Mm-hmm. I collect them, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it also has to, well, it has to be something that's on the route generally mm-hmm. and something that is hopefully visually interesting and has a really good story behind it mm. now do you go out of your way to tell or debunk stories like common fake stories or false san francisco stories oh, yeah. yeah all the time all the time I'm trying to think of a couple in particular um i think my favorite one is probably the Coit Tower is supposed to resemble the nozzle of a fire hose. Okay. Say that, and that also it was built as a monument to the firefighters. Uh-huh. I just read that book yesterday. It wasn't. The woman that left the money for it, uh, Lily Hitchcock Coit, just wanted to build something beautiful for the city. And the reason people get confused is she was a big fan of the fire department. They saved her life. They called her Firebell Lil because when a fireball rang, she chased the fire engines. Mm-hmm. And she became one of the companies. They loved mm-hmm. her so much. Well, she left a second bequest in her will to build a monument to the firefighters. And that's a statue in North Beach. Uh-huh. But it's Coit Tower, but it's not. So that's I, I, I hear tour guides tell that story all the time. Or that Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio either got married at a church in North Beach, Saints Peter and Paul, or they had their wedding pictures taken there. Mm-hmm. People will swear that this is true, but the picture doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really looked. For it. So, so because you're taking, you know, your your focus is on a city that has, you know, a lot of, you know, um, history in terms of, you know, the the decades that have gone by. Do you find yourself, I mean, let, let's put a pause on COVID, but do you find yourself finding newer happenings to be something that you want to incorporate? I mean, I assume San Francisco is always buzzing with activity, or yeah. do you think people would be more interested in uh, historical or older material? Um, I mean, I'm always putting new material in as things change. For example, the Salesforce Tower, now the tallest building in the city. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it, it's there. You can see it. You can't ignore it. So I have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But there's some good stories involved with that, uh, like the 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 city people, the city petitioning the owner that the whole top of the building has LED lights that can project images. Mm-hmm. So they petitioned him to have it be the Eye of Sauron from uh, Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Okay. And he's done it the last two years for Halloween. Oh, all right. So those things get incorporated in the tour. And as I've learned new things, I've had to take things out. Mm-hmm. There's actually enough now for a whole second tour mm-hmm. that, I, that I have time to tell. And you've also, I mean, we've discussed this last night that you've actually had to like remove material just because your route has been forced to change. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I couldn't, uh, for about the first three years of the tour, I went into the palace hotel. Beautiful hotel, great stories, great mural inside by Maxfield Parrish. There's a mural of the emperor. 
real highlight of the tour and the restroom room stop. So it was perfect. One day I'm in there, a security guard comes up and says, you can't come in here anymore with your groups. And the Palace Hotel banned all walking tours from coming through. Mm -hmm. So now what I do instead is I tell the stories out front, but it gives me a chance to really play up the emperor because in 1867, the only time he ever got arrested was in a different palace hotel than Mm -hmm. the one that's there today. And so I get to tell that story and get mad at them for that and mad at them for banning me. And And it, um, it ends up being one of the highlights of the tour that I'm standing out in front ranting about this hotel. Mm-hmm. And then right next door is the Ghirardelli store where they got rid of the Emperor Norton Sunday. So I get to rant and rave in front of that, too. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it contributes to the character of the emperor. But it's also taking something that could have been really bad, getting banned from the hotel, and making it an interesting part of the tour. Yeah. Yeah, I think I actually I took the one shortly after you were banned from the palace, if I remember correctly, because I do remember you also talking about the Ghirardelli uh, Sunday mm-hmm. being removed. So, OK, um, so let me just double check my notes here and make sure I at least covered some major questions that I had. Uh, now, have you ever had like particular requests from people that they may have heard of something that, you know, they want you to like you know, adjust the tour for, or is that more like in the custom area? I mean, I don't know if people who well, attend your tour tend to be knowledgeable about stuff. Some are, some aren't. Um, I do get requests, like if somebody's in a group that's a birthday party uh, and the person worked in that area, they might say, do you talk about this building? Mm. I said, no, but I can't because maybe they worked in that building at one time. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's one way I do it. Um and when I have a charter group, I can be a lot looser about that. And, of course, I always sing happy birthday, too. Mm-hmm. I have a birthday on the tour. Mm-hmm. I get to use my pipes. Up. So I'm always looking at ways to make it more interesting, but also to break it up for my own sake. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it when people. Now, now that you're officially a historian and to let other people, you know, know about this, if they want to kind of quote unquote see you in action without being able to go to San Francisco, um, you actually had an opportunity to um, be part of a segment about Emperor Norton on, I think it was now, according to IMDb, it's called Mysteries at the Monument TV show. So season oh, really? two, episode six. <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually mysteries. Yeah. And then two episodes, Mysteries of the Museum. And I've got to get my AMDB uh, thing updated because they don't include those. Yeah. And and so for people who have not seen the episode, especially the one about Emperor Norton, it's very interesting because they have you featured as the speaker telling the story about the emperor. But you um, are not actually playing the emperor in the episode. <laughs> so, yeah, that was very. That was very what? They confused people. I thought it was very strange. I thought mm-hmm. but they yeah. thought it would confuse did that. Okay, just let you know, you're cutting out a little bit, so I don't know if it's my heads up, but I'll, I'll check on the recording. And so, okay. um, but just to, just if I say, you know, if you could please repeat that, just letting you know that's kind so, of what's happening. Yeah, I thought, it was, I thought it was rather odd that they didn't have me play Emperor Norton. They thought that if I played both roles, it would confuse people. Because and people I are that really dumb. really think yes. I could <laughs> job, and he did. <laughs> the guy who played it. 
I will say personally, I do think that you would have been a better emperor, but that's only because I saw you in action. So, you know, for those who are not knowledgeable, the guy was passable. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about COVID. So, um, obviously, you know, you hadn't been able to do the tours. Uh, mm-hmm. How has the vibe of the city been? I mean, have you been finding stories or, or witnessing things that you would like incorporate, you know, I guess some COVID anecdotes into your tour going forward? Definitely planning on doing that, more talking about how it affected me personally by not being able to do the tour, but also uh, something I'm very proud of is how we responded to COVID here in San Francisco. We have the lowest death rate of any major city in the United States mm-hmm. per capita, which is how you should measure it. Mm-hmm. And that makes me very proud of the city and really says a lot about how people here pull together and do what needs to be done to get the job done. And so you're talking about all the common sense elements like face masks and social distancing, you know, everything. Exactly. Yeah. So I haven't been out in the city all that much. The rare times I have been out, it's a ghost town out there. Mm -hmm. Starting to come back. We're starting to see more people. Uh, tourism is starting to come back, and that's why I'm relaunching the tour very soon with very specific guidelines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of can't have more than ten people. These are these are from the city. Mm-hmm. Can't have more than ten people. Have to keep the tour to two hours. So I'm going to have to do some editing because normally about three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't go into any interior spaces. Everybody must be masked, and everybody must maintain social distancing and that's going to be the rules for the tour mm-hmm. and if they don't like that then they don't take my tour now we kind of joked about it last night you know there are other things people should know about your tour like the issue about it being a walking tour yes yeah it's about a about two and a half miles it is a walking tour so i always tell people wear comfortable shoes and bring water and bring a snack if you think you're going to need it mm-hmm especially for the three-hour tour. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you're always prepared for San Francisco weather, just in case. Right. Um, and I will do the tour in the rain, but I don't make I don't make anybody take the tour in the rain. They can rain. They can get a rain check for a different day, but if they want to take the tour, I will give them the tour. And you have done it in the rain. You you did tell oh, yes, that story. Oh yes, pouring rain. <laughs> My favorite story of one of a group I had on the tour. These four little old ladies and their late 70s, early 80s, all in their rain slickers and umbrellas, and they all brought little chairs and were huddled around Lotus Fountain, and they're all sitting down with their umbrellas over them, just listening to every word I say <laughs> while the rain is pouring down on them. It was, I, I really admired them. They were real troopers. Okay. Well, then you said you're launching. I think you mentioned November, correct? November 7. I, I just put the dates up today. Okay, and what's your internet address? It's emperornortontour.com. It's only going to be Saturdays at 11 a.m. to start off with. We'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. And then maybe some more time add the other tours back in if things go well. Um, And they can learn about that. They can book by going to emperornortontour.com and click on the Book Now button. All right. Um, okay. Now, is there anything else you want to mention to the tour? Blog and podcast? Yes, go ahead. So when this 
broke, this, the whole COVID uh, pandemic broke, I spent about three days kind of feeling sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And then just I needed to do something so I wouldn't go crazy. So I started doing a, a history vlog. Mm. And we'll do it four days a week. And then on Saturdays, it's the Countess's show with me there as well. Mm-hmm. And she tells an in-depth story and then sings a number as a different character. Um, mine is this date in history. It has been four days a week, but starting in November, it's going to be one day a week, probably on Wednesdays. We'll continue to do the Countess's show on Sundays. And I've been doing, I've done 152 episodes. Mm. And it's been great. I've learned a lot more history that way. But uh, the new show, which will be starting in November, will be a one-week almanac, and it's going to be the dates coming up, the history coming up. Instead of looking back, I'm going to look forward into the past. Okay. And available on YouTube is Emperor Norton's Fantastic History Vlog, and now as a podcast as Emperor Norton's Fantastic History Podcast. It's on Spotify and Google Podcasts and a whole bunch of other uh, areas as well. Okay. Well, fantastic. Now, any non-Emperor Norton projects you want to give a shout-out to while we're wrapping this up? Um, still working on a book, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> we all are. Wrap up one of the about uh, foods and drinks invented in California. Okay, well, I'm not working on that one, but yeah. I, I know you've talked about it. You're a definite foodie. Yeah, so the for... stories behind them and the recipes and that sort of thing. Um, one of the great things about the pandemic is I've gotten to learn video editing. So I don't know where that's going to take me, but we've made some investments recently. We just got green screen. Mm -hmm. So we can have interesting backgrounds now. So I may do some other video projects in the future. We'll see. I've had an idea for a documentary about world's fairs that I've wanted to do for years about the history of all the world's fairs. Oh, that sounds very, very ambitious. Yeah, it's going to be very Ken Burns style if I ever do it, but <laughs> nobody's done it, which really surprises me. Well, hopefully you planted the seed and then people start bugging you and asking, okay, when is that documentary coming out? Yep. All right. Um, Okay, so folks, uh, wrapping this up, um, I will put all the information in the description. Uh, So if you are not in front of a device where you can look at something, um, look up the podcast, um, all the links Joseph has mentioned, I will put in the description. So it'll also be uh, easy clicking for you. Any other parting comments, Joseph, before we call it? Just enjoy doing the podcast. I've had a blast doing it and I think you're going to enjoy it too. And hopefully people will pick up on it and be entertained and learn. Well, yeah. And thank you for being my first guest and and the challenges of conquering audio. (laughs) So hopefully it'll be a lot smoother going forward. And I know that I will have you on again, talking about something else since we have a lot of history just between us that we can pull from. Oh, awesome. Then I will contact you offline on that one. Okay. Thank you and have a good night. Bye. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye.